Welcome to the Breaking Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Austin Balsack, who is the founder of Cultivate Culture, where he helps people land jobs they love along with salaries they deserve. He spent 12 months dissecting the hiring process and created a simple formula for landing job offers at top companies with no connections. In 2015, he landed offers from Google, Twitter, and Uber, along with a 200% raise. On April 3rd, Austin is organizing a virtual career mastery summit, a six-day online conference where the brightest minds in career development teach you how to land your dream job. You will hear from 10 career coaches and the Breaking the Startups crew with Timo Rubin and myself breaking down the job search tactics that helped us get in front of our dream companies, lend interviews, and get those job offers. Best part, it's free for the Breaking the Startup listeners. So follow the link in this episode's show notes to learn more and sign up. Let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today we're recording another Skype interview. Our guest is on the East Coast in New York City. And we're sitting out here in the Bay, so coast to coast. And it's 6.30 a.m. on a Thursday. And we have, we're sitting at App Academy. We have crazy views of all the lights on the Bay Bridge. And we're really excited to bring you this, cha- this chat with uh, our guest. Ruben, can you please introduce our guest? Yeah, thank you, Timo. We're here with Austin Belkak. And like you said, you know, if you look at his resume, he just looks like another guy from New York that works in sales at Microsoft. But what some of you guys may not know is that he's one of the most prolific writers in the game that's written several pieces about breaking startups. First thing that you should ever do before you even listen to this interview is read those posts. The first one is called How You Can Land a Six-Figure Job in Tech with No Connections, Tips That Got Me Job Offers from Google and Other Tech Giants. And the other one is How You Can Start a Career in a Different Field Without Experience. Both of these got a ridiculous level of of recommends over 5,000 combined. He's going to talk not just about the highlights there in his story. He's going to talk about how he spent time in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. Shout out to Sherelle and Pomp out there holding it down. I mean, it's going to be an amazing interview. So Austin, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Well, before going into your story, you also have a virtual career mastery summit coming up, don't you, on April 3rd, right? I do. I do. And thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. So we got the uh, Virtual Career Mastery Summit coming up starting April 3rd. We're going to have 10 speakers ranging from helping people get interviews at companies where they have no connections all the way to starting a side business and growing it up to six figures while you're still working full time. The whole thing is totally free. So feel free to sign up and hopefully we'll see you all there. Awesome. I, th- I think we're, we're one of the guests on there too, right? You are, yep. Thank you for including us. So let's take it back from to the beginning. So where, um, you know, how'd you grow up? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I grew up in uh, New Jersey, actually, about an hour outside of New York City. And my dad was an entrepreneur himself who also started his career out working in sales. And my mom worked in the financial world and, and wealth management, something that you guys are familiar with. And then I ended up going to college down in in North Carolina, made my way down south for a little bit and went to Wake Forest University, majored in biology and sort of tried to figure out what I wanted to do with my life down there. Awesome. Awesome. How's college experience for you? It was good. I have to say that college, you know, we talked about this in the last time we chatted, but college is an interesting experience, especially for somebody like myself who has a parent who's an entrepreneur, has always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I struggled a little bit with taking some of these courses that didn't seem to have a real world application in my mind. And then on top of that, I started out, I wanted to be a doctor. I think like most people at some point in their lives, everybody has that dream. And then I ended up my first semester awake. I failed chemistry. I failed French. I pretty much dumped my GPA in the toilet. So I had to pivot a little bit. And I stuck with that biology major. But my main focus towards the back half of college was really putting myself 
in a position to become an entrepreneur later in life. And so for me, it wasn't so much about the grades or the experience in the classroom, but much more about the connections and the network that I built while I was there. Yeah, that's really great. And what I love about your story is, like a lot of our guests and a lot of our listeners, you do come from a non-traditional background. And like you wrote in your post, you were able to break in. So what was next for you? How did you, what did you do after college? How did you navigate this uh, job search? Absolutely. Yeah. So I graduated with that biology degree. And to me, at that point in my life, I really had this sense that, you know, the next step was just laid out for you, right? It would come at the right time. So my parents, as obviously everybody comes from different backgrounds, I was fortunate enough to have a couple of parents that were extremely supportive of me and really helped me and held my hand through each next step, be it high school, college, et cetera. And so I figured a job would sort of be the same way. You know, something would fall into my lap and something did. And I just went ahead and took it. I actually didn't go on any job interviews in college. I didn't even apply to any other companies. So I just took this one job offer, which happened to be in the medical field. And I graduated. I moved to Charlotte, where I was based. And it only took me about two weeks to realize that I absolutely hated it. And the main reason for that was I had a, a boss that really undervalued me. No matter what I did, no matter how many of his goals I reached, he was always telling me that it wasn't good enough, that other people out there were better, that I wasn't going to last And this was long. a sales jobs, right? It was. It was a medical device sales job. Mm. So I would be in the operating room early in the morning covering these cases. And so we would be in there with the doctors and all the medical folks with the patient on the table. And so I had to, I covered all of our cases over across North and South Carolina. So I would be up at about 3.30 in the morning in order to drive a couple hundred miles to be at this hospital by 5.30 in the morning and then run through all these cases. So it was pretty miserable. Lots of early mornings, not a lot of sleep. And on top of it, the salary that I had was pretty miserable in general. And also compared to the, the other people that I was seeing and looked up to, like my friends and, and family members and people like that. And so I ended up racking up something like $10,000 of credit card debt. I ended up having to trade in my car for a lower, like a lesser version, so to speak, and kind of had to roll with that to make ends meet was eating terribly, wasn't exercising. Uh, it just ended up in a really bad place. And I knew something had to change. Yeah. Yeah. And before talking about that change, you know, I've definitely been in situations where, you know, I felt undervalued in the workplace. Do you have any strategies or tactics to share about how someone should address an environment that where they feel undervalued and how they might be able to change that even if they didn't want to leave? Uh, so you took my tip. My tip was to get out of there. I truly think that you really get hired into your boss. That's going to be the the one thing that has the most impact on your job, right? And then possibly your company right after that. But when you, when you are looking for a job, you want to find that manager who's going to help you grow, give you that flexibility and support you. And so if you don't have that, in my mind, it's definitely time to get out of there. But if you don't have the option to leave, or obviously, you know, you've just made that decision and the job process, the job hunt does take a little bit of time. The best way to manage it is to just make sure that you have your ass covered. And if that's so, not happening, then you need to cut it. Yeah. Exactly. You need to cut it. And one of the <laughs> yep. one of the great things is in hindsight, I think a lot of us had jobs where we weren't a huge fan and it pushed us harder to go and pursue that next thing. So for anyone who's listening and they don't like the job, I would just say like embrace it and use it as the stepping stone to push yourself harder to get to that next job. You're, hopefully it's your dream job, but if not, keep grinding and keep pushing towards it. Exactly, so, so now let's talk about that exit strategy. How'd you, how'd you plan that? Absolutely, so I mentioned before, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but after I graduated and found myself in this situation, I started looking at people who were happy with their career. You know, They had a job they loved, they were making good money, things sort of fell into place for them. And so I would look towards these people who were working at the top companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the tech companies of the world. In my mind, and I think you guys may have felt this a little bit given your background, but finance had been the hot thing 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and the needle has sort of moved over to the tech side now. And that seems to be where a lot of the young folks 
are seeing a lot of success, but as well as flexibility and a lot of support and just overall satisfaction and happiness. So I looked at, at these people and my main target was people who are under the age of 25 who had landed a job at one of these tech giants, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Ubers, companies like that who were making over six figures. And I have a, a personal mantra that I didn't realize I had it until I met my girlfriend. So I give him credit where credit is due. But <laughs> it's along the lines of you should only take the advice from people who already have what you want. And so I, I actively sought out people who had what I want. They worked at those companies. They had the salary. They had the happiness. And I sat them down and I picked their brain about the steps that I needed to take. And the main thing for me was while I was doing this, I was actively applying for jobs. And like most people out there, I applied for jobs online, right? Because that was the path that people told me to go on. That's when I went online and I read about career advice, career development, or when I asked my friends, everybody was like, oh, I'll apply for this job, apply for that job, put your resume in online. And so that's what I was doing. And it felt like it, the resume was just going to a black hole, right? 90% of the time, I would never hear back. And the other 10% of the time, I would just get rejected because I didn't have enough experience in the tech space, right? I had just graduated college. I had a biology degree. My GPA wasn't great. And on top of it, the only job experience I had was nine months in medical device sales. So yeah, I you, didn't really have. Go ahead. You, you said like when it comes to competition, you said something about how like any open role gets like 250 resumes or something like that. And then, you know, there's a, like 41 million people looking for work at any given time. Is that still relevant? Accurate? Yeah, exactly. Great memory too, Ruben. Spot on. So Someone yeah. does the research. <laughs> <laughs> so that stat really turned things around for me. And I think this is an important piece for everybody who's listening. You know, everybody will tell you to apply for jobs online. And when you go through it yourself, you're going to encounter a lot of rejection. And that's not necessarily due to the fact that you don't have the credentials or you don't have what it takes. It's really due to the approach. So as Ruben mentioned, there's a recent LinkedIn survey that showed roughly one in three people are actively looking for new work. And the employed population in the United States right now is around 124 million. So you're looking at 41 million people at any given time who are looking for new work. That's a lot but of then people. On top, that's a lot of people. And then on top of that, Jobvite is a company that does a lot of research on hiring trends and, and talent trends. And they found that 75% of people out there are applying for jobs online. And then on top of that, Another survey showed that an open role at a well-known company, so the ones we mentioned earlier, sees roughly 300, 350 resumes, and 75% of those are coming via an online portal. But then there's this screening software, this applicant tracking software that basically scans resumes for keywords, and it gets rid of all but the top five, top 10 resumes. So you're looking at roughly 2% of the resumes that come via an online portal actually making it to a pair of human eyeballs. And so that's why you're not hearing back from these companies. Or if you are, you're getting like an automated rejection. It's not necessarily because a human looked at your resume and said, no, this person isn't right. It's because a human didn't get the chance to look at your resume and you're being counted out before you've even had the chance to get in front of somebody and sell yourself. Because the, and so the, that, their software and their AI has not been able to understand how to recognize people from non-traditional backgrounds yet. Exactly. And I'm not sure if it ever will be. And yeah. so that really changed my perspective. And I knew that based off of that data, if, if I wanted to land a job, especially with this non-traditional background, I was going to need to get in front of somebody because as is the case with you guys, you know, we know how to sell ourselves and we know how to spin our background in a positive light. And something that's really powerful that I learned through my process that we talked about the last time we caught up for the summit was how people think that coming from a non-traditional background is a disadvantage, but it's actually an advantage because Preach. if you're coming in from, yeah, if you're coming in from a non-traditional background and you're trying to be that person who went to Harvard with the 4.0 GPA and has all the traditional credentials, you're never going to win because the people who are from Harvard who have the 4.0 and the traditional credentials are going to beat you at that game 10 times out of 10. So instead of trying to be more like them, embrace that difference that you have. Embrace your non-traditional background and spin it in a way that shows what extra value you bring to the table that somebody with that 4.0 from Harvard or wherever is not going to bring to the table. And to, and and to take, your point, if you have job scanning software that's like 
filtering these traditional backgrounds, every resume is going to look the same. It's going to be like Ivy League check, you know, 4.0 check, chess club check, you know, and then it's going to be very hard for you to stand out unless you have something that is non-traditional. So you're already starting off from that position. Exactly. And so those were the two main realizations that I had. The first was that I wasn't going to be able to apply online if I wanted to get my dream job. And the second was that I needed a way to build a little bit of experience. That's what I learned from talking to these people who already had what I wanted. And so some of them came, actually many of them came from non-traditional backgrounds as well, which is pretty eye-opening for me. And so there were two things that I had to work on. I had to work on getting some experience that would get my foot in the door and help get me noticed. And then I also had to learn how to build relationships with people at these companies, despite the fact that I never talked to them before, didn't have a mutual friend, didn't have a mutual connection. It was really like sending a cold email or a cold pitch if you're a salesperson, but selling yourself. And uh, yeah, so I started out, I talked to these people who were already working in the space that I wanted to work in. And I made a laundry list of the skills that were required. And then they helped me prioritize them. So if you look at a job description, for a dream role of yours, they give you all the criteria right there. It's basically a roadmap for what you need to learn. But those skills aren't weighted the same. And especially because some of them are concrete, hard skills, like you need to know Google Analytics, or you need to know this piece of software, whereas you have more of the softer skills that's like, is a great communicator or knows how to lead, which are a little bit harder to judge objectively. And so I would talk to these people, I would get them to help me prioritize those skills. And then I would also ask them, you know, if you were in my position again with this non-traditional background, not a ton of experience in this space, what would you do? How would you approach going from step A or, or point A where we are now to point B? And I would get them to walk me through that process. And so after you get three or four or five people to walk you through that, you can really build a strong picture of what people who are already in that company are looking for for somebody who wants to break in. Yeah. And that was really helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, so, that's, that's really great advice. I know I'm cutting you off, but the reason okay. why I'm cutting you off is because you are going in on some really important things with these people that are giving you this advice and breaking it down. But how did you even set up those conversations with these people? You know, did you not just they say, I want to pick your brain randomly or like, how did you structure that conversation to get them to even take the time? Because these, these people must be pretty busy, right? Absolutely. That's a great point. And keep interrupting me, Ruben. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep rolling on. But yeah, so a lot of people think that, well, they're terrified of reaching out to strangers. And to be honest, I was in the same boat. All the same fears and doubts that might come up in one of your listeners' heads were in my head, right? Like, what if I reach out and they tell me no, they just flat out reject me? Or what if they don't respond? Or even worse, what if I reach out to this person and they think I'm annoying, they call their HR department and they say, never hire this person. I don't want to see him in my office. And all those things went through my head. But at the end of the day, like that last one is a little bit crazy, right? We're all people like working and nobody has the time to do that. Nobody's going to take the initiative. They're just going to ignore your email or they're going to email you back and say no. And that's really the worst thing that can happen. But you're not going to damage any relationships. And I actually found that when I reached out to these people, they were more than willing to help. I got about an 80% response rate on my emails asking people to meet me for coffee or over the phone. Wow. And a lot of them turned out to be helpful. And there's a specific reasoning for that. So the way I found them was if you head over to LinkedIn, they have these advanced search filters. And so I believe this specific strategy is only available if you have LinkedIn premium. But you can get LinkedIn Premium free for 30 days, I believe. And that's really all you're going to need in order to find the contacts that you want. But you can go over to the advanced search filters and you can choose a previous industry and a current industry. So you can find somebody who used to work in graphic design, but now is a developer or used to work in medical device sales and is now in digital advertising sales. And it really, it runs the whole gamut. And it's great because you can also sort by first or second connections or third, and you can add in all this criteria. And so that's what I did. I plopped in that search filter, and then I found everybody who fit the criteria, and I just started reaching out to people. But I did it in a specific way. So the first thing I did, just to get real granular here, so my subject line when I reach out to people is always quick question. And the reason for that is Fast Company did a study where they they sent 1,000 cold emails to Inc. 500, Fortune 500 CEOs, C-level executives, 
And they did a bunch of A-B testing and they found that quick question not only had the highest open rate, but also the highest response rate. And so I tested that out. I do use an email tracking software and I would recommend it for pretty much anybody. Do you use Streak or what software do you use? Yeah. So I use Yesware, which mm -hmm. is paid. It's 15 bucks a month. But HubSpot offers a free piece of software that I think you get like 200 emails tracked monthly, mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine for somebody who's uh, just looking looking for a new job. And I remember using Streak. I don't know. I think it's probably still available. It's a Chrome extension for your Gmail, but it'll notify you when every time someone opens an email, it'll tell you what device they're on. And so that's helpful mm -hmm. when you send out a cold email because then you could actually confirm that someone received it, which then allows you to follow up in a day or two if they haven't responded. Exactly. And that's a, that's a huge point. So both of the pieces of software I mentioned do the same thing. So they'll tell you how many times the person opened it, the exact dates, the location. It's a little bit creepy almost, but it's extremely helpful because if you send out a cold email and you don't get a response, that doesn't necessarily mean the person does not want to talk to you. Most of the time, I found that these people are just extremely busy, right? They have priorities from their boss. They have priorities coming in from their family and their personal life. And then they have their own dreams and aspirations that they're working towards. And then your cold email that you sent them is probably pretty low on the priority list. Yeah. But What's funny about that is uh, you can actually, like, once you install the plugin, you can see, like, in general, when people open your emails. And a lot of people, I think you'd be surprised to see that people will open your email, like, within minutes of you sending it out but then some of them will literally take like days to respond so it might hurt your ego a little bit for i'm guilty of that a lot of times yeah, too we're all guilty um, of that but I, and I would also say like the on the opposite there's this software called ugly email so you can see which emails people send to you or like identifies the emails that track you and so it's just mindful to keep in mind yeah so austin i had a question so a lot of i think in our pre-interview or in our previous chat, you did mention that when you were reaching out to the people, you were also offering them some value. I think a lot of the, I think some people are held back from reaching out because in their minds, they think that they don't have a lot of value to offer because these people do have very busy lives. Can you share some of the stuff you did to give that value back to them? Absolutely. So it really depends on the person you're reaching out to. And what their specific situation is. So when I reached out, the first thing I would always do is position my contact as an expert. And so everybody wants to be viewed that way. And everybody wants to give advice. People are very willing to help and very willing to give advice. So I would send them an email and say, you know, hey, I see that you work in this industry for this company. I'm really interested in learning more about the space, given your expertise and the knowledge you've gained over X number of years in the space. Would you have five minutes to hop on the phone with me? And then I would always mention at the end, I know your time is extremely valuable. Don't feel like you need to reply in depth. But if you do have five minutes, just shoot me a time that works for you and we'll make it happen. And so I would always open with an email like that. In the, the articles that Ruben mentioned at the beginning in the intro here, I have the exact scripts so you can go copy and paste it from there. But I would start out with that. And again, I did get that 80% response rate. I got on a lot of phone calls with people and people were genuinely willing to help as long as I was positioning them as this person who had a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, and I was sort of feeding off of it. And one of the things that I found worked best is a lot of people give advice. So somebody who's in your position or my position, we have these online businesses. I always encourage my audience to reach out to me. But a lot of the time, they just reach out and like fire off these questions. And they're like, help me with this, help me with that, help me with this. But they don't necessarily say, you know, like, just like a simple thank you or like, how can I help you? And so when I would get in touch with these people and I'd hop on the phone with them, I'd always try and figure out what their biggest challenge was. That was my number one question that I would ask. The rest was kind of just fluff to sort of make sure that I wasn't just asking them one question and then hopping off. But I would get the information to that and I would take it back and I would do some research. And I would talk to everybody I knew who might have an opinion, might have some knowledge, might have something to add to this problem. And I would try and build out a solution. And then I would send it back to them. And 
this is how this is the number one way that I was able to get my foot in the door at these tech companies without having a mutual friend or a mutual connection. This was how I built those relationships. So I would cold email them. I would hop on the phone with them. I would figure out what their biggest challenge is. And then I would I would get as much information as possible to the point where I was almost asking like too many questions. Yeah, uh, and I think that's important to like highlight that your initial email to them was not asking for a job. It was asking for a quick call, which would then build up to the next email where you offer more value. And so you keep offering more and more value until kind of maybe like on the third or, th- or fourth interaction, when you've already proven yourself, you've built a rapport, and then you kind of either ask them for advice, like, hey, if you were in my position, kind of how would you go about breaking in? Or, if, hey, I saw that you guys are having this internship program, or I saw that you guys are, have these positions open. Do you think it could be a good fit? So basically, the first few interactions, you're not asking for anything besides just maybe a quick call, what your biggest challenge is, then you prove yourself, you show value, and then build up until you have enough rapport with that person to have a small ask, right? Yeah, I mean, I think something else that you touched on that I think is very good is to not come in too arrogant. And you, you, know, you always want to make, put them in a position of power. You never want to outshine the master. And you want to put them in a position where people like to help people, or, and people like to talk about themselves too. So if you can tell your story well in the beginning and set the tone well that demonstrates that you're passionate, you know something about them, you're not wasting their time, and that you are there adding value, and then like kind of like let them talk for the rest of the time and kind of like say yes, no, it usually turns into like a really good conversation. And something else that I, I tend to like to stress early on is to have these conversations at least three months in advance before your actual job search, if possible, because it's much better to have a warm relationship with someone so that there's less pressure during a job search to annoy them with a bunch of questions all the time and just kind of like gradually build up to where sometimes they're even offering you like, hey, by the way, are you looking for a job? I can help you. So a lot of times it happens naturally where you don't even have to make the ask. Yeah, and that's a great point that Ruben made where if you keep delivering value and companies are always looking for people who know how to grind, people who just don't stop and don't take no for an answer. So if you can show them that you do your due diligence, you know how to add value, then in their minds, they're going to say, hey, like, I think this person would be great for my company. And you can use that as a way to demonstrate that you're qualified for whatever position you are applying for. So if you are speaking to people who work at Google, Facebook, all these companies, if you did help them solve whatever problem they were working on, then it'll be very easy for them to say, hey, I actually know an opening in the company. Let me put you in touch with them. Yeah. So use that as an opportunity to demonstrate that you're the person that they would want to work with. Yeah, and, and, and just to not to beat a dead horse and continue talking about this, but part of the reason why it's important to have these conversations is not just because they give you all this insight that we've talked about already, but because you said something like 40% of hires come from referrals and then referrals get paid more than cold applicants. And, you know, there's some more stats that you shared before, but it's really important because over 50% of six-figure jobs are filled via referral, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you guys are spot on. So I made that mistake where I would come in and say, I would cold email somebody and I would say, hey, nice to meet you. I see that there's an opening at your company. I don't have any experience, but I'm interested. Like, help. That was basically the gist, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that when you do mention that you are looking for a job, people are much less likely to help you. It's actually kind of interesting. However, if you reach out and say, hey, you're the expert. I'm just interested in learning more about your industry. I just have a couple of questions for you. 10 minutes of your time on the phone, will that work? People are more than happy to help because as Ruben, Ruben, as you mentioned, getting people to talk about themselves, especially their accomplishments, their achievements, people love to do that. So that that's a great point. And then moving on to the referral thing. Exactly. So Wall Street Journal came out with a survey a couple of years ago with some the, the results. I'm surprised that they're not more widespread, but they basically found that only 20 percent of jobs are advertised online or, or anywhere else. So 80 percent of the jobs that are out there are being filled via word of mouth or referral. Can you repeat that on one more time that, so people can understand what you just said? Absolutely. So to break it down, 75% of people apply for jobs online, but only 20% of the available opportunities are available online. So the other 25% of the people who are getting jobs via referral or via word of mouth or via these other opportunities are competing for 80% of the jobs that are out there. 
And not only that, but as Ruben mentioned, jobs that pay six figures or more, the majority of those jobs are exclusively hired via referral. So the bottom line is if you want a dream job that pays you six figures at a top company, you're not going to get it by applying online. You need to get a referral. So write those emails well. You know, add value during those conversations. You talked about matching formats. A lot of times it's just first name at whatever company it is. And so that's that's super important. And you got to do your research. And you talk a lot about research on your posts. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the research that you need to do in preparation for meetings? Yeah. And some of the outcomes too, because you had some pretty impressive outcomes from those meetings. But yeah, take it away. Yeah, definitely. So for me personally, the research just comes down to tapping into as many resources as possible. And I'm the type of person that I like to delegate if possible. So when somebody, let's say, for instance, when I was looking at Twitter, I wanted to bring them something or a few solutions about how they could monetize, right? Because at the time, this was a couple of years ago, the bane of their existence was monetizing their platform. And so for me, I had a little bit of experience in the online marketing space, in the tech space, but there are people who have 10, 20 years of experience and have direct experience with this problem. And so I tried to find where those people hang out. And a great place is Quora. And so you can search on Quora for a similar question, or you can pose your own question. And the level of person that is on Quora is very interesting because you have like, the Reddits out there or the Facebooks. And they're not quite for this purpose, but they also draw like a different side of people. Whereas the person who is on Kiora is like hungry to answer these questions and they want to have a challenge presented to them. They want to have a question that they need to kind of tackle and work through. And so whenever you pop something like that on there, you typically get a couple of answers and they're coming from a whole bunch of perspectives. And so while you may not use one of those answers specifically, you could if it makes sense. But I found that they tend to get my brain working and they would open up some doors in my head and then I would go do a little bit more research. So that was one avenue that I took. The other was just to talk to other people in the industry. And so if you happen to have friends or family members or connections in the industry, definitely tap into those. But if you don't, one of the great things that I found, as Ruben mentioned, you want to be building these relationships as early as possible. Obviously, like if you're switching jobs and it's a tight timeline, you have to work within your limits. But in my mind, like you should be networking. And I don't mean networking, like going to networking events, handing out business cards, shaking hands. That's not networking. That's dead. And it's not going to get you anywhere. What I mean by networking is what we talked about, reaching out to individuals who could have an influence on your career or you getting hired somewhere and just doing that 365 days a year. And you want to be top of mind. So the best way to stay top of mind, I found, is people love to talk about the competition. So if I wanted a job at Facebook and Twitter, I could, and I reached out to people at both of them, I could go to Facebook and say, hey, Facebook guys, why is Twitter having so much trouble monetizing? And like, if you were running Facebook because you're a smart guy in the tech space, what would you do? And how many times has somebody asked you guys, like personally, they're like, oh, if you guys were running the business, what would you do? Oh, yeah. Every that's, time that's, that's one of that, my favorite sales questions is like, if you were king of whatever, like, how would you run or if you were queen, how would you run this situation or how would you approach this? That's, that's, that's a great one. Yeah. You have to shut them up sometimes, right? Because they just keep, they're like, oh, I do this, I do this, I do this. And they just keep going. But it's a great way to not only build your relationship with that person, but also get some info that you can use for these solutions. Yes. And 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 some of the best conversations are when the person that you're meeting with learns something about their own company that they didn't even know. And I mm -hmm. think that the other thing that's awesome when you're doing your research is don't just talk about work, like learn some things about their personal background and tie it to your own so that they remember that, that you guys both, you know, went to birthright before, you know, or you guys both have been to, you know, we're on the soccer team in college college, and you guys like, you know, are passionate about real Madrid. Who knows? And so like whenever people think about you, (laughs) they're not just going to think about the skills and how hungry you are. Like this guy's cool. She's cool because you want to work with people that you want to hang out with too. Yeah. I mean, like, 
we work all the time, but I'm always with Dr. Antimor. Yeah, <laughs> it's also a good idea. Like I found that when you're reaching out to people, you almost want to start two parallel conversations. One that's completely like non-job related, like pleasure, maybe sports or something that you could relate to someone. And then the other track is more along the lines of like more professional. And so when you're when you have both of these, then it's very easy to interchange. So when you're reaching out to them initially, you focus more on kind of building a rapport. So you might be focused on whatever you have in common. And then you could talk briefly about more of the professional stuff. And then as your relationship progresses, then you could kind of switch between both tracks. And that's probably one of the best ways to stay in touch with someone because Hey, like if you, let's say you both are passionate about soccer, so then there might be a new tournament coming up, there might be some new announcement, and if you both share that passion, then you could just shoot them an email in a week or two and be like, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but this just happened, or hey, there's an event coming up at this company, are you going to that? Yeah. So, and then it's a real conversation. It doesn't feel like they're being used. And like, yeah, of course, you guys are helping each other out, but you you really want to build friendships, like you said, like it's not just networking. That's kind of dead. Like if you really want to build deep connections with people like you know talk to them like they're your friend yeah and one of the things that we started doing when we moved out to san francisco was we started organizing hiking trips and that was one of the great ways for us to not just go to happy hours and meet people get their business cards but we actually build a lot of very deep relationships by saying hey like let's get out of the city we're going on this hike we put together a group of 20 people that we met over the last few months and we would just go there and not talk about work, but we just like talk about life, our backgrounds, our passions. No name and, tags. Uh, yeah, no name no, tags. Doesn't have to just be people. No titles. And that was one of the great ways because you're also adding a lot of value to them because now you're introducing them to people in your network and people that they can find uh, like good to know just for whatever they're doing. And you're the connector. So then people look to you for those connections and they start wanting to give back to you. And at, and at the end of it, you share a meal together and have a conversation. That's, yeah. And that's how you have, like, that's how you really get to know each other. And it goes beyond just a coffee meeting. You had an experience. And like, yeah. you remember that time when we climbed that mountain together? That's going to that's gonna definitely set you apart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's really good insight. Something else that I think would be good for you to go in on is you talk about the questions that you'll get in every single interview. Can you go in on that for us, please? Definitely. If you guys don't mind, I would like to jump back real quick because there is a second component to this where building those relationships is crucial. But when you do get your foot in the door and you hit the interview process, you know, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, you're going to have built a relationship with one, maybe two people. But when you hit the interview process, it's not very likely that the person who referred you in is going to be interviewing you. And even if they are, they may be one of three, four or five people. So you still have to have the credentials to back it up, right? Like you can't just roll into these places with that referral and hope that they'll teach you what to do. And so the other component of this was building the experience. And I think at least for me, my audience tells me all the time, I have one email that, that comes through shortly after they signed up that basically asked what their biggest frustration is. And the, the number one most common frustration is they're in industry X, they want to move to industry Y, and they don't have any experience and they don't know what to do. And so this is sort of what I wrote about in that second article that you mentioned, Ruben, but essentially you have to figure out a way to get a little bit of experience that you can point to. And so tech is great because a lot of these tools, a lot of these platforms are available for free. So for me, I wanted to break into digital marketing and I was really interested in search advertising. So I ended up speaking to the person who ran the search marketing for my father's business and as well as a bunch of other people. Uh, and I, I asked them, you know, what qualifications do I need to start my own freelance business in this space? And so they would tell me, you know, you need to learn Google Analytics or Google AdWords or Bing and all this other stuff. And so I went out there and the amount of resources, and I think you guys touch on this a lot, and this is sort of one of your core values, but the amount of resources that are available to somebody to learn a new skill for free is substantial. Like there's Coursera, there's good old paperback books, there are a there was blogs, there's newsletters, there's a plethora of these resources. But then it's also really important to take that knowledge. You build the foundation, but then you take it and you actually put it in, you find a real world application and you put it into action. And yeah. so what I did was 
I built that foundation. I got certified in Google Analytics. I got certified in AdWords. I did X, Y, and Z. And then I looked for a place where I could apply those. And I found, I ended up stumbling into lead generation for real estate agents who worked in private golf communities in America where you had to own property to also be a member. So I think that might be about as niche as you can get. I don't even know (laughs) if you can add anything else in there. But that was my space. And I ended up doing really well in there. And I got several clients. And then I had these success stories. And this is obviously over the space of about six to eight months. And I do go into this in more depth in the article. So I don't want to beat it to death. But the point is that I put that right on my resume. I think a lot of people, if they do do these side ventures, are hesitant to put it on their resume. But it's so important because not only did I have these results to speak to that were basically showcased experience that was directly applicable to this role I was applying for, but it also showed that I was tenacious. You know, I got out there and I, I started my own business and it probably wasn't easy. And then I also understand how to look at a business from like from a big picture level, right? Especially if somebody is getting into the software development side of things and this is not a knock on any of you guys, and I may be stereotyping here, but I know one of the gripes salespeople have with technical folks is that the technical folks are just focused on building their product, right? They don't think about like how it impacts business with the end customer. And this is one of these age old debates that people have. But if you're coming into any role and you can showcase that you run a business, you know what it takes to not only create something, but also create it with the end customer in mind and making sure that they're satisfied and paying you and and all this other stuff, it speaks volumes. And I found that, so for me, I'm the youngest person on my team by six years. And that's the case because I could showcase that I knew how to help grow a business and how to run a business and from this non-traditional experience. Yeah, and that's a great point because like you mentioned, startups is an amazing opportunity to gain that experience and you don't need to have years of experience. All you need to do is just kind of identify the skills you want to acquire and then either get certified, start your own business, or if you're not someone who is entrepreneurial, just go find a local hackathon, go find people that are building their startups now and just offer to help. So when we started out, we went to a startup weekend it's basically like a two-day event that happens in every, pretty much every city. There's like You can still see the picture on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's from like, <laughs> literally, I think one of the first things we did when we were thinking of breaking the tech was go to Startup Weekend. But what happens there is you could either pitch your own idea and get a team around you, or you could join another team and help them take the idea to the next level. And usually what happens at these hackathons is that people come together, they brainstorm, you get to meet amazing individuals who are designers, engineers, business people. You build those relationships. And then after the hackathon, typically the team sticks together for another like week or two or maybe a month and they hack on it, they collaborate. And if the idea is like has legs, then they'll continue working on it. If not, that's an amazing experience. You could just add to your resume. And then when you're applying for jobs, you could reference it as, hey, I was uh, helping out the startup. This is what I did for I them. I built an app, uh, a website, blah, yeah. blah. Because like, you can get somebody to say, put me in the game, coach. But if somebody passes you the rock on the court and you're not going to shoot the ball and make any points, you know, that's gonna, then you're going to make them look bad. And so they stuck their neck out for you and they believed in you. So you definitely got to have a little bit of experience. And a lot of people think that the experience that they have to put on their resume is only from like a corporate job. But a lot of these side projects, like even mowing the lawn or like doing odd jobs and like, I don't know, building the website or the you design the flyers for it. Like you could point to those types of things and write it on a resume. That's yeah. experience. And a lot of the time, just having the, if you have a job that you don't like and you're shooting for your dream job, having the side hustle, something that you can look forward to, something that you can actually start doing now versus waiting until you get that job down the road is what's going to keep you more motivated to actually break in. Just to jump back to Austin doing a great job explaining the two parts. And you mentioned that once you, the second part is getting everyone else on the team that's interviewing you on board. So what were those questions that every single company asked you? Yeah. So I went on about 50 plus job interviews um, over the 12 months that I was transitioning from where I was in Charlotte to ending up with, with these offers. And I found that when I started, when I went into these interviews, they tended to follow a similar template, right? I was getting asked basically the same questions 
spun a different way. It was like the Taco Bell menu, right? It's all the same ingredients, but they just wrap them all up differently and call them different things. <laughs> and uh, so I came up with this list of seven questions. And I found that if I had answers to these seven questions, I could pretty much walk into any interview and succeed or at least do extremely well on tight time frame. So, I mean, I think a lot of people and myself included, I'm sure you guys have experienced this where they call you up, they're like, great, we're excited. Can you interview today at four, tomorrow at 9 a.m.? And you're like, holy shit, I only have four hours, 12 hours to prepare for this interview for a company that I, I really want to work for. And I went through that one too many times where I, I went into the interview and I had prepared for, I spent every hour leading up to it preparing, but I still wasn't quite ready because I found that if you don't have the answers ingrained, you're still working them out in your head and you're trying to iterate and find the best way to answer it. And when you're doing that on the fly, it really requires a lot of mental brain power. And so you may be able to answer those basic questions all right, but then if they throw a curveball at you, all of your mental energy has been expended trying to just answer these basic questions. And it's so hard to pivot and, and come up with a good answer on the fly for that curveball. And so once I began researching the specific questions that I got asked every time and coming up with the answers for, I was able to handle a lot of these curveball questions or other aspects of the interview much more easily. So those seven questions were, the first is, why do you want to work for us? The second is, tell me about a time you exhibited leadership. The third is, tell me about a time when you had to work as a team. Four, tell me about a time you've had to work with a difficult person or difficult people. Five, tell me about a time you failed. Six, tell me about a time you overcame an obstacle. And seven, tell me about a time when you had success. And so these seven questions are pretty much variations on almost any question you're going to be asked in an interview. There are a few more like, what's your biggest weakness? Tell me about yourself that require a bit of a different strategy. And we can talk about that maybe another time. But for these seven, I found that there were three things that led to a good answer. So the first was you should tell a story. A lot of people do this on their resumes, but then they also do it in job interviews where somebody's like, tell me about a time you failed. And then you're like, well, I had a client. They were tough. We, I made a mistake and we lost money and that's it. But if you craft a compelling story and, and talk about the background and really like give them the whole picture, tell them about the failure, but then also how you overcame it and turn it into a positive, really just crafting that whole story is really important because people remember stories. They remember whys. And they don't necessarily remember this bullet point that you just spat at them. Yep. And then going off of that, it's extremely important to include qualitative metrics that illustrate your success. Quantitative so, metrics, right? Quantitative. Yep. Like hard, cold, hard numbers. So let's say my failure was that I pressed this wrong button in our system and it caused the client's accounts to go offline and they lost 50% of their revenue in one day. 50%, that's a lot. But that's then huge. I went and overcame it and then I did X, Y, and Z and that resulted in 150% bump. So I netted out 100% and I did it by making X, Y, and Z happen. And so when you present your answer in that way, you're yeah. basically, you're showing the amount of value that you're able to add and you're walking the person through exactly how you would add it. And it's so important because these people, like it's really important to add value but these people also want to understand your thought process. Like, how did you identify the problem? How did you think about it? And then how did you craft that solution? And by giving that all to them and the, and the one answer, that's huge. And I, I think, Ruben, you guys may want to jump in here, but I just want to yeah. say one more thing. The third point is to anticipate and address objections. And I think this is huge mm -hmm. for people coming from non-traditional mm -hmm. backgrounds because when you get asked a question, you're, the objections are already there and much more so than somebody who's coming in with a, a traditional background. And so if you, psychology has shown there's a bunch of studies on this, but basically if you address an objection before the person asks about it, yep. it basically erases from their mind. Whereas if the person prompts you first, even if you give a great answer, there's still a little bit of lingering doubt. And so if you're able to tell the story, include your metrics, and then address any potential objections they might have, that's a winning answer right there. No, that's spot on. And a lot of times people get offended when they get asked like super hard questions about maybe a gap in their resume from the time that they skipped the job or the fact that they went to school for seven years. But a lot of times it's just perfectly natural for someone to ask that type of thing, even if they might ask it in a hard way. But if you put yourself in their shoes and practice turning that answer into something else, like let's say 
you know, you had to drop out of school in order to take care of your family. And then you were working jobs that develop skills that is making you relevant for the interview. You could literally tell that to them in the tell me about yourself story. And that's already going to be addressed. And that's not even going to come up because you already handled it. And then the way you explain the story about the failure, and then you talk about how you bounce back, you know, that's going to also demonstrate the resourcefulness and tenacity that you touched on. So everything that they hit you is kind of like Aikido, right? You take that energy and you flip it back on them. It's always just like this smooth, like cycle. You could throw me whatever, you know, oh, your GPA sucks. You're absolutely right. Ask me a question. Boom. All right. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point, kind of addressing, anticipating the objectives and addressing them. From the list, I would say, like, even for engineering interviews, like, I pretty much got this exact list shaped in different forms. One of the questions stood out to me, the one about, like, tell me about how you handle a difficult person on your team. And I think that question pretty much got asked every single time. And I think the psychology behind the question is super interesting because usually the person asking that question is imagining himself being the difficult person you may have to deal with. So when you answer that question, make sure you explain the situation, you tell a story, but also never make it about like, hey, this per- never blame the person and never say that, hey, like this person wasn't doing a good job. So I called him out and about like, I think if you make it, if you turn it into a confrontation, then the person list, kind of on the receiving end is going to be like, whoa, what if I ever end up in this situation? And then he's going to treat me the same way. So that's something to keep mm-hmm. in mind is that for a lot of these questions, it's also about taking ownership of the situation and not always saying that, oh, this happened because someone else messed up or the deadline was missed because this person didn't uh, deliver. So it's kind of like doing both things where you definitely want to provide context. You also want to position yourself as someone who like explained what you did to prevent it and make it seem as if you're not blaming anyone. But at the same time, you're presenting them with a view of like where if they were in your shoes, they probably would have done the same thing. Exactly. Cool. So tell us about the outcomes, because I think something that stood out to me was um, how um, the type of results you were able to get from these interviews. Can you tell us which companies you interviewed with and how many offers you got and from who? Yeah, exactly. So I interviewed with a ton of companies over this 12 to 24 month period. And so by the end of it, I'd gotten interviews and offers from Google, from Microsoft, from Twitter, from Uber, and a bunch of other tech companies. I was able to... And what were the roles again? (laughs) Sure. So they were all in sales, sales and business development. So my main focus was growing existing business within these companies. So basically any client that they had on their platform that was already sold into by an outbound salesperson, I would pick them up and then I would continue to grow the existing business. So that was the main role. And then on top of that, I was able to take my salary up from where it was when I graduated from college. It went up about 5x, so 500% with these offers. Yeah. And then I think a lot of people get tied up with the salary, but also... Some very important factors for me were flexibility. So I am lucky enough to have an amazing manager. My girlfriend lived out in L.A. for two months for her rotation, and and I was able to move over there and and work out of L.A. for a month. Or I'm, I'm able to work from overseas. I get to travel a lot, and I have a lot of flexibility. And I think that's something that's extremely important, too. So overall, yeah, it was a... uh Pretty big win across the board there. Sounds like you're being valued and people are investing in you now. Is that, is that accurate? I would definitely say that. I think the more that you bring to the table, the more people are willing to invest in you, but also the more they're willing to overlook the minutia that a lot of people get caught up in. Like how many years of on-paper experience do you have? What college did you go to? What your GPA was? All these traditional qualifications tend to carry less weight when you show up and you say, hey... As we talked about, address the objection. Hey, I'm not from a tech background. I'm actually from X, Y, and Z background, but I used to have this job. I worked my ass off outside of my nine to five. I started this side hustle. Here are my results. Here's how they directly correlate to your business. And here's the value I'm going to bring. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think you're just like dropping value bombs like nonstop. And like, it's an amazing stir of how you went from being in medical sales to kind of switching, making a 180 degree uh, turn and succeeding in tech. And you ended up at Microsoft and you're, you have an amazing job, but you also have another passion of yours, your current business cultivated culture. So can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start that as well as an event that's coming up next month 
that's uh, helping people find jobs. Absolutely. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast here, I always wanted to become an entrepreneur. And the number one thing that was holding me back was the idea, right? I think a lot of people who want to start their own businesses struggle with the idea because they think that it needs to be this like brand new shiny thing that potentially nobody has thought of before. And that's really not the case. And so I'd spent, I'd come up with a bunch of crazy ideas over the years. And then I started doing some research online and looking at people who, again, had what I already wanted. They were starting these online businesses. And I was seeing these case studies where people were making a bunch of money and building out this freedom for themselves by doing some things that we might consider to be just like par for the course. So some people are like teaching guitar lessons online or they're teaching people how to become like a power user for Microsoft Excel or anything like that. And I really, a light bulb went off in my head. And I I also knew just from conversations that I was having with other people throughout my job search process that I wasn't the only person in this position. You know, I recently went back to my university to speak and I was sitting in front of a, a class full of about 50 entrepreneurship students. And I asked them how many of them knew exactly what they wanted to do. And not a single hand went up. And I asked how many people were still figuring it out. And every hand went up in the room. And so I think it's so tough to expect somebody who, any point in their career, really, you know, some people know exactly what they want to do from the day they're born. And some people are still figuring it out up until they're 30 or even 40. and, And that's okay. But the main issue there is transitioning from where they are now to where they want to be. And so I started this site, Cultivated Culture, to basically share my process with people. I spent a lot of time, probably a, uh, you may call it obsessive, um, the amount of time I spent dissecting the hiring process, everything from resume formatting to these interview questions to the psychology that goes on once you walk into the interview room. You know, how can you leave a positive association with that interviewer, especially when you're coming from this non-traditional background? And I did a ton of tests. I read a ton of uh, books on psychology and read a lot of studies. And I did all this stuff. And it helped me. But now I want to help other people. And so this site is a resource that sort of contains all of the information that I gathered over the course of my job search. And the goal is to share it with other people. And so as you mentioned, this event coming up, I'm hosting a virtual career mastery summit. And I'm really excited about it. When is it, by the way? Sure. It's starting April 3rd. Registration is open now, though, and it goes from April 3rd to April 8th. And we're going to have speakers every night. And these speakers range from you guys, starting with the best first, of course, (laughs) to people from themuse.com, if listeners are familiar with that, to an executive coach who previously worked at Microsoft for 14 years. He had 10 promotions in 14 years, which is crazy. And then he went off and and has now coached people at Google, Dropbox, Qualcomm, Amazon, Microsoft, significant companies to, let's see, who? oh, we have a recruiter, uh, one of Wall Street's top recruiters, actually. She, She hires out of universities, but she also helps people make moves out if they want to get out of finance. So whether you're interested in getting into finance, getting out of finance, she's going to be there. I have a guy who was born in Nigeria. He lived in five continents for the first nine or 10 years of his life before immigrating to America finding a job. And now he's built his personal brand up to the point where he's been featured in places like Forbes. He's actually has two TEDx talks coming up. And then finally, we have a guy who is, he started his own side hustle, similar to what you guys are doing, similar to what I'm doing outside of his nine to five. He ended up building it to a $160,000 business. And he also consults for LinkedIn and helps them with their content strategy. So LinkedIn relies on this guy to tell them how to to be successful with their content marketing strategy. So basically, yeah, we're covering all the bases. So whether you're looking to break into tech or into your dream job and you're not sure how to do it, or whether you're looking to master the interview process or understand how a recruiter thinks or talk to somebody who's been at one of these companies and, and kind of what they look for to accelerate your job from, you know, once you've gotten hired up to, to up to the C level. Like, how do you make that transition? How do you accelerate your growth all the way over to, you know, I, I'm good with my job. I love it, but I want more. I want to start the side business. I want to own my own thing. So it runs the gamut. The best part is it's totally free. So you sign up, no cost to you, and you can watch all of the events live there. So you can find that at 
cultivatedculture.com forward slash VCM. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll include the we'll link in our show notes. There. Yeah, and, that, Perfect. And, and that's beautiful. So shout out to you. And last point before going into the lightning round, I think um, a lot of times when we talk about things like this, people think it's only applicable to non-technical roles. But um, as evidenced in a recent AMA by one of the Triple Byte co-founders, he said that even about 50% of the candidates that they see fail interviews, engineers that fail engineering interviews, fail for non-technical reasons. And it often comes down to lack of enthusiasm and not understanding the qualitative side. So yeah, team will take us into the, yeah. to the lightning round. And uh, it's amazing, uh, Austin, what you've been able to accomplish with your nine to five job. And then you're putting on these conferences and your blog is amazing. And um, yeah, so to all of our listeners, definitely check out all of the resources that Austin just shared. So the next part of the podcast, it's the piece where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you several questions and try to provide uh, brief responses, but fill them with strategies, tactics, any resources that you've used to break in and get to the point where you are today. Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So you've kind of done this a few times in your career. You've uh, moved to a new city. So imagine you're moving to another new city and you don't know anyone. You only have $100 and you're starting from scratch again. So what would you do and how would you spend that $100 to build yourself back up? Absolutely. So I'd take $100 and I'd buy you guys lunch. And then (laughs) I would reach out to the same strategy that we talked about before. I'd find people on LinkedIn who were in a position that I wanted to get to. So if I'm looking for a job, I'm going to find some of these companies. I'm going to reach out to those folks and um, I'm going to ask them to meet again. And then I'm going to, again, figure out what their biggest obstacle is. I'm going to do a bunch of research and I'm going to provide that info to them. If I'm starting my own business, I'm going to maybe take part of that 100 bucks and, and sign up for a domain and get my website up and running. But again, similar deal. Whether you want to start a business or you're looking for a new job, getting comfortable with reaching out to strangers is absolutely crucial. And that's how my blog ended up getting some initial traction there. So again, I would write an article, I would drop in a bunch of links that point to articles written by influencers in the industry or in this new city. And then I would reach out to them. And again, as we talked about before, that adding value piece. So I would say, hey, you know, hey, Ruben, you know, I I love what you guys are doing at Breaking Into Startups. I wrote about you in this recent blog post. Would love to chat, would love to connect for five minutes. If you have time, let me know. Best Austin. Send out the emails and then begin building those relationships. Yeah. And then, you know, right after they do all those things, we we plug them into the five step challenge and, you know, start helping them navigate the space. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah. And like Ruben mentioned, we actually kind of, because, I mean, we love that you mentioned the whole informational interviews and cold emailing. And we put together a five step challenge for folks that will take them from pretty much not knowing anything about tech to learning about the roles and then crafting those emails and uh, telling telling your story story, and actually like reaching out and a lot of like kind of the knowledge is very similar to yours and we actually like got inspired by your blogs to create this five-step challenge and it's also absolutely free and you can find more about it on our website yeah yeah and one of the questions that you brought up and just the variation of it about failure uh, made me think a lot about music which brings us to this next question because a lot of times when we talk about failures and things like that, at least when you brought up the, the question about failure, it made me think, have you ever heard that song by Big Sean called Bounce Back? Of course. Last night I took an L, but tonight I but bounced tonight back. Tonight I bounced back. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> whenever you have like a down period, what's a, what's a song that you tend to listen to or a movie that you watch that helps you, Ooh. you know, get inspired again? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have, Ruben, we talked about this before. I'm a, I'm a big music guy and there's a, there's a couple of them, but uh, there's a, an artist called Sound Remedy who uh, is a little bit older at this point, but he's got a song called Walk On By. It's my number one played song in, I, in my iTunes library. It's not like super like pump up, get jazz, but it's just one of those things where you put it on, chill out for like seven minutes and then get back to what I was doing. And I found that if you've just hit a big, like you just faced a big rejection or you're having a lot of doubt about what you're doing or you're just feeling down in general. I found time and time again that inaction breeds doubt. So if you're not doing anything, you have all this time to think about that rejection, to think about where you are. You just think about what you're not accomplishing. But as soon as you take one step towards like the next move, emailing that next person or writing that next blog post or researching that next company, 
as soon as you start taking the action, I find that the doubt disappears immediately. So if you are feeling down, if you are, if you were just rejected, you know, pick yourself up, play that song and then start taking action as soon as you possibly can. I love it. Put that song on on repeat. It's like a, it's a refresher. It's like an audio version of coconut water. You know, it makes you feel good, you know, out here. Yeah. So the next question, it's about giving advice. So Austin, take us back to when you were doing those long 4am, 5am rides to the hospitals back when you were still out of college. And what is one piece of advice that you would want to give yourself knowing what you know now? That's a good one. I would say that I think it's pretty common for people to say, like, you know, just know it'll all work out. But as we've talked about, you know, if if you don't experience that stage where you're like, I hate where I am, I need to move, you know, personally, I may not have been motivated to do everything that I've done to this point. And and I may still be stuck in this, that original job that I had when I graduated college and stuck with the masses. So I, I think the number one piece of advice that I would give myself is keep grinding. You know, again, going back to, to the previous question, no matter what happens, you know, there's going to be failures, there's going to be rejections, there's going to be wins, there's going to be losses, just keep grinding, you know, every day, wake up, do what you got to do, send those five emails, go to the gym, whatever you want to do in life, whatever your goals are, they're going to be accomplished by you getting up and doing small set of things consistently every single day. Yeah, I mean, you got to keep dancing. It makes me think about this video by Eric Thomas where um, Buster Douglas was the first guy to knock out Mike Tyson. And the reason Mike Tyson would knock you out in a fight super early is because he didn't have any stamina. And so once Buster Douglas knocked him out, he realized he just didn't have endurance and you have to just outlast him. You just got to keep, you know, dancing around and knock him out. So I like it. Yeah, man. And Austin, thank you so much for uh, kind of jumping on Skype with us and recording this amazing interview. I think this is probably one of the best ones we record and filled with so many actionable advice. So for our listeners, how could they get in touch with you? Can you tell us your website again? And then uh, best way our listeners could um, uh, speak to you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is cultivatedculture.com. Mm-hmm. So you can find me there. You can email me. It's austin at cultivatedculture.com. Feel free to reach out. And then you can follow me on Medium. All you have to do is search for my name, A-U-S-T-I-N-B-E-L-C-A-K, and that'll pop right up. And I'm, I'm sharing a lot of new stuff coming up pretty soon here. And finally, feel free to register for the summit. No cost to you. We have 10 great speakers lined up, including Ruben, Arthur, and Timur here. So hopefully we'll see you all there. And guys, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Thank man. you for being with us. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.